0: Today's reading is Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Say, The Lord has need of it, and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, "'What are you doing, untying the colt?' And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, "'Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord!' Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: well good morning everyone pastor dave here and uh you know i gotta admit um it's really sort of starting to hit me the the kind of reality of it all and just how strange it is to have holy week and to be in a essentially empty empty church i'm not alone in and i think thinking that this is just it's weird but uh, you know, Christianity is weird. We want to keep Christianity weird. And so we're going to keep on doing that. And so I want to encourage you, um, if you're at home and you want to share this feed, uh, you know, I know that the best part of the service is what came before, um, the wonderful worship and, uh, and singing our praises to God. But. You know, here we are, alas. And so if you, uh, if you find this helpful, this would be a great sermon, trust me, in my top two to three hundred that I've ever given. And so I would encourage you to share this, um, share this with your peoples if you are so inclined. And so I say that, that finally this week, the strangeness of it all is starting to hit me because this is the week, really, this is where prime time hits for the church You know, this is the week where if you were in Jerusalem um, right now, uh, it it would be normally flooded with pilgrims, Christians from all over the world, visiting the sacred sites, walking through the last week of Jesus's life in in, in, in the places where it all occurred. And, you know, uh, this is is Holy Week, and if you're not familiar with that, that's just what Christians call the week where we commemorate and celebrate um, the last week of Jesus' life. And just to let you know how important this last week of Jesus' life is, in the Gospel of Mark, two-thirds of it is dedicated to the rest of Jesus' ministry, everything before this week, but a full one-third of the Gospel, 33.333 repeating percent of the gospel encompasses just the events of this last week. And as I said, typically Christians are flocking all over the world to the Holy Land or Roman Catholics are are filling the Vatican to hear the Pope's Easter blessing. And across the world and across this country, our churches starting on Palm Sunday are full, full of worshipers. And yet here today... And across the globe, church buildings are mostly empty and they're going to be mostly empty next Sunday. Pilgrims have been told that they need to stay home. And so what is supposed to be a week where we celebrate Christ as the conqueror of death is going to be spent behind closed doors out of fear of spreading a deadly pathogen. And honestly, I got to be honest with you, Palm Sunday, it's one of my favorite Sundays of the year. And you know, traditionally we've begun uh, the service by you know everyone comes in and 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 they get a palm frond and and um, and and you know this year we went a little smaller than normal because it wasn't your regular Palm Sunday and so you know everyone would have a palm frond and we would start with this with this processional, our own little processional around the sanctuary. We'd be singing, clap your hands, all ye people, join me at home, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Clap your hands, all ye people, shout unto God with a voice of praise. this is where it gets fun. Hosanna, Hosanna, shout unto God with a voice of triumph. Praise him, praise him, shout unto God with a voice of praise. And we do that until we sort of get tired of it, um, or till I get tired of walking around the sanctuary. We at least do a couple of laps. But but today we just, we get to settle, you know, for palm fronds as a decoration on the communion table and, and the pulpit. And, you know, maybe a carnation in your lapel or something like that but but it just does not have the same effect. It's a sad substitute. But just to encourage you, if you're at home, if you have kids, this would be a great craft to do today would be to take whatever construction paper you have or materials and markers and make your own palm frond today. Um, and, and, then you can, um, and then you can do your own little processional with that song around the couch or around the dinner table or maybe around the house or around your block or something like that. And, uh, and post it. You can post it to the socials with hashtag social distancing palm Sunday. Just made that up. And now the Jewish people, they have a, a, a traditional toast that they use when celebrating Passover. And it's this. It's, it's next year in Jerusalem. And I think we can adapt that toast for our own purposes today and say, next year, Holy Week, next year, together. 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 And I hope that this season of isolation, distancing, and waiting, it can help us understand and, and even sympathize more with the crowds that were in Jerusalem. You know, we're going stir-crazy after just a few weeks, and so imagine if you had been waiting decades and even centuries for, for a Messiah, waiting all that time, and, and, you know, getting your hopes up that, that finally, at long last, this was going to be your long national nightmare would end right? It'd be like hearing that that someone had developed a vaccine or a cure uh, uh, for the coronavirus. And so we'd get our hopes up. We'd be so excited. Then imagine finding out that we'd been misled or, or lied to. We would turn on that person as quickly as the crowds in Jerusalem end up turning on Jesus. And so when we look at Palm Sunday and and Jesus's triumphal entry into Jerusalem, we need to look at at the rich symbolism that's in almost every little detail. Because this was no accidental processional. This was a well-managed piece of stagecraft. Jesus entered Jerusalem just so. In order to send a message about who he was and what he had come to do, and the crowds they, they receive those singles and then they uh, symbols, and then they respond with their own symbols about who they understand Jesus to be and what they expect him to come and to do it 's a veritable clashing of symbols, pun intended, and, and folks, I, I can hear your groans, I can feel your groans at home right now, and I, and I welcome them, they make me stronger. And so I want to I, I want to listen to those symbols. I want to hear those clashing symbols. You know, they ain't got nothing. Jada Hut's got nothing on these clashing symbols that we got this morning. All right, and and, and I, I want to see what Jesus's symbols mean, and I want to see what the crowd symbols mean, and then I want to actually look at how Jesus subversively fulfills the crowd's symbols. All right. So first, let's start with Jesus's symbols. So that, that, that Jesus is acting with a, a high degree of intentionality here it is obvious at every single point in the story. First, the, the time of year that he picks to make his, his entrance into Jerusalem, it's Passover season. That's no accident. He goes up there to celebrate the Passover feast with his disciples and the Passover, it means something. Right? This is the great Jewish festival where they remember and they celebrate God's great act of deliverance when they were still slaves in Egypt. And the angel of death had passed over the homes of, of, of the Hebrews that were marked with the blood of the lamb and spared their firstborn. And it was this event that finally convinced Pharaoh to, to, to you know, let my people go, to let God's people go into the wilderness in order that they could worship him. And so Passover time was highly symbolic, right? It was a time filled with hope that God would act again in a powerful way. And that's why Jesus chose this season to make his entrance. It was when God's people celebrated their liberation from slavery. It was when God's people remembered when a pagan king, a proud pagan king who had defied the Lord was humbled. And it's when they celebrated their salvation, their rescue. All of those themes echo in Jesus' ministry. Jesus has come to, 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 to liberate and to confront in his own way, you know, the pagan king Caesar and his toadies like the Herods, and his mission is salvation. It's, it's rescue. And then there's the whole business with, with the donkey or, or the colt. The, the Greek word here is ambiguous, but for our purposes, let's just say it's a donkey. Now, nearly every detail in this part of the story about procuring the donkey, It's worth exploring. First, there's Jesus telling the disciples that when when they go to get the donkey and and someone says, well, who who are you getting this for? Say, the Lord has need of it. So think about it. Who has the right to commandeer an animal like that? Only the king can commandeer property like that. And then there's this fact, Mark tells us, that it's, it's never been ridden. And we know that the royal mount, it was only suitable for, 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 for royalty to ride on the royal mount. You wouldn't want it to be shared with other people. And so here, the fact that this donkey had never been used before, it was for exclusive use of the king. And then there's Jesus riding the donkey in order to make his entrance into Jerusalem. Now, this was a strange thing for Jesus to do, because how has Jesus gotten around throughout the, the rest of his ministry? He's walked. He's walked everywhere. Jesus was a walker. He walked all over Galilee. You know, even when he could have taken the boat, he chose to walk on water. Jesus had no problem getting in in his 10,000 steps a day. In fact, Jesus probably easily got 40,000 steps a day in. And I just pulled that number out of nowhere. But it sounds really impressive, doesn't it? Now Jesus was peripatetic. He was always walking everywhere. And and, and if you were a pilgrim walking the pilgrim road into Jerusalem, you would walk because that's what part of making this pilgrimage meant. It meant that you walked into Jerusalem. And so riding a donkey was weird. It was strange. It stood out. You know, it, it, it would be like, what would you think if you were running the Twin Cities Marathon? With team world vision and you know you're running down through the marathon and all of a sudden someone rides past you on a horse you'd say who does this person think they are right who does that guy think he is and that's exactly that's exactly precisely the effect that jesus is going for He wanted people, when they saw this, when they saw him riding, to stop and to ask, who does he think he is? And there was a scriptural answer at the ready that explained the symbolism. Uh, Listen to to Zechariah 9.9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he. Humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. So who rides into Jerusalem on a donkey? The king, that's who. And not just any king, but a a victorious king. See, if a king were going out to battle, he he would ride a war horse, he would ride a steed. But when he returned in victory, when he returned in peace, he would ride a donkey. So what all of these symbols point to is that people wants to understand that he is the Messiah that he is the king, but he is a king who is coming in humility and who is coming to bring peace. So those are Jesus's symbols. And so the crowd, they they see Jesus's symbolic action and they interpret it and they respond with symbolic actions and words of their own. See, the crowd see Jesus's symbolic actions and, and, and they do recognize them for what they are. Well, sort of. Uh, That's why it's no surprise when they start to hail him as king, except instead of seeing him as a king coming in peace, they offer their own uh, symbolically charged interpretation of what they think Jesus's triumphal entry ought to mean. So they spread their cloaks on the ground. That's how you welcome a king. But it's what they do next and start to do next where things take an ominous turn. Mark tells us that the the people started cutting down leafy branches out in in the fields and spreading them on the road. And we know from other accounts of this event in in the Gospels that these were palm branches. And so some people spread them on the ground and some people wave them. That's why we call it Palm Sunday and and, and not leafy branch Sunday. That just doesn't have quite the same ring to it now, does it? But these palm branches meant something important because there had actually been another entry into Jerusalem with singing and shouting and riding and waving palm branches more than a century before Jesus entered Jerusalem. And when I tell this next part of the sermon, I I couldn't help when I was preparing, think of a scene from the hit TV show, Friends. Now, quite honestly, the reference I'm about to make, it, it comes from one of my least favorite episodes of Friends. And it's an episode where um, Ross is worried that his son Ben is getting too into Christmas and thus not Hanukkah and ignoring his Jewish heritage. And and so um, in order to conquer, so Joey is dressed up as Santa Claus. Ben loves it. He's excited to get gifts. And so somehow through, you know, hijinks ensue, Ross ends up dressed as the Hanukkah armadillo. And so, as I tell this next part of of the story, imagine that I, standing here, am the Hanukkah armadillo. Because this story about waving palm branches and someone else coming into Jerusalem has everything to do with the story of Hanukkah. In the early and middle parts of the second century BC, the Jews had found themselves under the rule of, of, of the Seleucid empire. And these were ancestors, heirs to, to the, emper- the empire that was founded by Alexander the Great, who then, um, you know, his peoples had divided into a bunch of parts between themselves. And, and so this part of the empire was, was ruled by the, Se- the Seleucids. And, um, and the ruler at this time, and they ruled over Palestine. You know, they were in charge, uh, the, these Greek folks. And uh, at this time, there was a, a ruler named Antiochus IV. Now, Antiochus IV, uh, he gave himself the nickname Epiphanes, which means God Manifest. And so you can imagine how well that went over with his Jewish subjects, that here is this king calling himself God manifest and making sure that he prints it on his coins. You know, to them, such an appellation uh, is blasphemy, right? It it would be like if Donald Trump started saying, you know, you can start calling me Jesus 2.0. So in, 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 in response, uh, there was a, a Jewish revolt. And in response to that, Antiochus repressed it brutally. He killed men, women, and children. Um, he banned Jewish practices. They weren't allowed to keep the law anymore. And he set up an altar to Zeus in, in the Holy of Holies, in the Jerusalem temple. I mean, this was beyond scandalous. This was an outrage And so this led a a group of Jews under the leadership of the Maccabee family to successfully rise up against Antiochus and secure their freedom. And in doing so, you know, they got that altar of Zeus right out of there. They rededicated and purified the temple. That's what Hanukkah celebrates. And they reestablished the practice of the Jewish faith in the Holy Land. Now listen, listen for echoes. Listen to this passage from 1 Maccabees 13. And that's one of those extra books of the Bible. If you grew up Catholic or Eastern Orthodox, you know these are the apocryphal books, the dudo canonical books. Uh, so, um, uh, uh, but, so this is from 1 Maccabees 13. It says this, On the 23rd day of the second month in the 171st year, listen here, the Jews entered Jerusalem with praise and palm branches and with harps and cymbals and string and instruments and with hymns and songs because a great enemy had been crushed and removed from Israel. Here echoes of our story and that story. So Hanukkah was a a, a festival that was established to celebrate the rededication of the temple, the purification of the temple after the Maccabean revolt. And so the waving of palm branches meant, here comes our liberator. This is a new Maccabean moment where Jesus is going to crush and remove another great enemy from Israel. And clearly the expectation was also too that Jesus was going to do something to purify the temple. And then that brings us to the shouts. Now at first glance, these might just sound like, you know, Innocent words, right? The, the crowds always sang these kinds of words, you know, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. That's what they always sang to welcome the pilgrims to the holy city. Because these words, Hosanna and, and blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. These are words taken straight from Psalm 118. And Psalm 118 was one of the halal psalms, uh, which were sung as pilgrims entered into Jerusalem. The, the crowds on the road sang them to welcome the pilgrims. The pilgrims sang the song. This was their version of Christmas carols everyone knew these psalms and these songs by heart. And they knew that you sang them every year at Passover time. And so knowing that, you know, we wouldn't think that we need to read some kind of great political or radical theological agenda into these words. Except that the crowds didn't just sing the words from Psalm 118. They did a little ad-libbing of the song on their own. They improvised on Psalm 118 by adding their own lyrics. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. The coming kingdom of our father, David. Now, what kind of kingdom did David have? Well, I mean, those were the good old days, the golden era, when Jews were in charge of their own territory. When, 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 when God had blessed them richly, those were, were the happy days. They were in charge of their own land. They governed themselves according to God's law. And so their expectation was that Jesus was going to bring back that golden era. So clearly the crowds with their symbolic words and actions, they had their own expectations for the type of king that they expected Jesus to be. They wanted him to be a new David and a new Maccabee, expelling the foreigners, purifying the temple, and through violence, hook or by crook, re-establish the Davidic monarchy. Anything less than that would be an utter disappointment. And here's where we need to face a hard truth. The danger is always that we impose our own expectations upon who we think jesus should be the type of king the type of messiah the type of liberator the type of savior that we expect him to be and just like the crowds we react with bitter disappointment when he doesn't meet them you know we all have expectations about what we think god should do god should keep us healthy and prosperous God should should find us the perfect match. God uh, should make sure we get that job or we stay employed. God should make sure I'm happy. God should heal me. God should make my marriage great. God should make my church grow. God should make sure my preferred politicians win. Or probably more honestly, just make sure the politicians I hate lose. God should make sure my children grow up to be good and, and, and to follow him. God should make this... Pandemic and the looming recession or depression go away. Like the crowds on that Palm Sunday, we have all sorts of expectations that we put on God. And they're not bad in and of themselves. But as one author said, expectations are just disappointments that are under construction. And this is a season where we've had to throw all our expectations out the window. Expectations that we're going to have a a steady income. Expectations that our business or our friend's business is going to make it. Expectations that that we'll see our friends or family anytime soon. Expectations about graduation. Expectations about church and worship. Expectations about weddings and baby showers. Expectations about the summer. Expectations about just how we think we're supposed to be able to live our lives in 21st century America. Right? We had all of those expectations and those expectations have gone out the window. We expect God to make things normal again. And we'll praise Him and extol Him as long as we believe that He will make it so. But when Jesus comes, He brings with Him a whole new normal. And And I don't just want things to go back to the way they were before. Palm Sunday makes that clear. Jesus brings a new normal. With him, things can never just be the same again. And and so we have got to check some of our expectations at the door. Now, Jesus's use of symbols, they show that he's self-consciously coming into Jerusalem as a king who brings peace. And the crowd's response with their own symbols, they show that they expect Jesus to be a messiah who conquers, who liberates through violence, who purifies the temple, who kicks up the pagans, right? They, they, they've got their own expectations that they mirror back at him. Now, the easy thing to say would be, of course, Jesus was right and the crowds were wrong. And technically that is true, 100%. But where the crowds and where we get it wrong is not always in what we hope for. But it's in how we hope for it. Because the truth of the matter is that Jesus does fit the Messianic criteria. He does fulfill expectations and hopes. It's just that he does so in a way that subverts the very criteria itself. You know, whereas the crowds thought that the problem was an external threat. It was the Roman occupation. What Jesus understood was that the the threat was actually far greater, far more cosmic, and far more personal than that. It wasn't the threat wasn't Rome; it was Satan himself. And what had been occupied wasn't just Jerusalem or the Holy Land; it it was the very hearts of the people. See, what the crowds failed to understand was that their ultimate problem was not us versus them. Right? It's too simple. The Soviet dissident and author Alexander Solzhenitsyn understood that. And, and this quote, i will probably, I've shared it a hundred times before. I will continue to share it whenever I get it, because it's such a wonderful statement. He, he says that the line between good and evil does not run between us and them. It runs down the middle of each and every human heart. And the crowds welcome Jesus as a new Davidic king and Maccabean conqueror with the expectation he's going to purify the temple. And while the temple was an architectural marvel, there was problems with it for pious Jews. It didn't exactly accord uh, uh, to Old Testament specifications. And and the Jerusalem elites who were in charge of its operation were not exactly noted for their exemplary piety. And the first thing that Jesus does in our passage, actually at at the very end, when he gets to Jerusalem, he goes to the temple compound and he gets the lay of the land which prepares him for what happens right away in Mark chapter 12. Is is, is he purifies, or uh, not, not Mark chapter 12, but right after our passage, Jesus cleanses the temple, drives out the money changers, the people selling animals. Happens right after our passage. And so the crowds, you know, they expect Jesus to purify the temple, but Jesus does even more than that. He replaces it. When he dies, the veil of the temple is torn in two. And what that means is that Jesus has offered himself as as the last and ultimate sacrifice to end every sacrifice so that there was no longer any need to offer a lamb or a goat or a bull or a pigeon or anything and splash its blood on the altar. Jesus's blood paid it all. It covered it all. and, And it brought life and forgiveness and holiness and healing to everyone who belonged to him. And you know, the crowd shot, Hosanna, save us. And they thought that meant that Jesus would lead an uprising to throw out the Romans. It was Passover, and so they wanted to to celebrate their own liberation from their own Pharaoh. Jesus understood that the ultimate Pharaoh was sin. And that was what the people needed saving from. That's what they needed liberation from. So Jesus would himself become the Passover lamb. He would sacrifice himself. His, His own blood would be placed on the doorposts of all the hearts of the faithful in order that death ultimate death as separation from God would pass over us as well. And with that, we, we see that Jesus didn't simply just reject who the crowd thought he was and what he'd come to do, but he actually in his own subversive way, not just met, but exceeded those expectations as well. And so brothers and sisters, this Palm Sunday, let us celebrate Jesus as King. Let us offer him the praise that is his his due. But uh, let us also search our hearts and recognize how even in this season of disappointment, Jesus will meet and then exceed any expectations we might have. And let him subvert what we think we need in a Savior in order that Jesus can give us what we really, actually need. And truly need hosanna save us jesus from ourselves and come quickly in the name of the father son and holy spirit amen please pray with me lord god we thank you that this palm sunday you reveal yourself for who you are the king who comes in humility who comes To save who comes to bring peace lord might we let go of our own expectations and calibrate them for your hopes and your dreams for your world for your kingdoms cause and God today let us continue to shout Hosanna save us deliver us and blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord Hosanna Hosanna in the highest. Amen.